How are you doing this evening? I was uh, uh, very careful to not make the same mistake John did, saying morning, 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 and I do it often. By the way, I'm going to take a moment here. Chris, can you do me a favor? Can you come sit next to your husband? Because I'm sure that when you're busy downstairs, you don't get an opportunity to sit next to him. That's okay. I have a pastor's wife too. And a pastor's wife who's busy as well. And so sometimes, you know, I mean, we spent the first, I don't know, 15, 20 years of pastoral ministry. She parented in the pew without me while I was up front. Uh, there were a few times that I stopped in the middle of the sermon and said, son, stop it. And he did. You know, while this is not a last, seven last words of Jesus from the cross, I want to begin with a phrase that Jesus used from the cross, I thirst. And again, I'm not going to uh, to go through all of the literal descriptions of the torture of Jesus on the cross, of His excruciating thirst, His excruciating pain, of His beatings, of His whippings. I'm not going to go through that. I'm sure that uh, your pastors and your churches will go through those on Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and maybe even Easter Sunday as we talk about the death of Christ on the cross, which is to our good, isn't it? And to our glory. How many of you have ever been thirsty? And certainly I'm talking about the physical thirst that we all feel on a regular basis. I used to play sports much more than I do now, and after a, a good game of softball or soccer, I would need something to drink. Uh, I find that as I get older, I drink a lot of water at, at dinner, and then I walk away from dinner not really being able to enjoy my food because I drink so much water, I, I feel bloated. It's not a good feeling. And then I moan and groan because I put too much water in my system. You know, Jesus was, was speaking about physical thirst. But we, you and I have a, not only do we deal with physical thirst, we deal with a spiritual thirst. We deal with the spiritual thirst in this world. What do you thirst for? And again, I'm not talking about a simple biological quest. I'm not talking about filling this glass up with water and drinking it. What do you thirst for? What do you hunger for? I'm not trying to trap you. So I want you to think about it, though. You've heard enough sermons where you know where this might be going. You shouldn't thirst for things. You shouldn't hunger for things. We shouldn't want things. Now I know that all, all, all good things are God's gifts, aren't they? They are. And we should enjoy them. We should enjoy a good steak. We should enjoy a good tall glass of water. We should enjoy all the sunsets and sunrises. And we should enjoy uh, the ocean crashing on the waves. I think we should enjoy our family and friends, right? That's not the kind of thirsting and hungering I'm talking about. I am taking certain things for granted here, and I think that I'm justified in taking certain things for granted. I'm speaking to the church tonight, right? I'm speaking to those who, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I want to remind you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, don't leave tonight without settling that, that relationship. 
But that's really what the church is for, isn't it? The gathered body of people. It's for the equipping of the saints. It's a good thing to invite unbelievers into the church, but that's ultimately not the purpose of the church, is it? It's to have you sing and worship and sit under the teaching of God's Word so you can be equipped to go out and be the salt and light that God's called us to be. That's what the church is. I am talking to those who know the promise of an end to suffering because Christ died for us. Jesus promised us, in this world you will have what? Suffering. In this world you will have trouble. And and there are slick snake oil salesmen that will try to convince you that if you read your Bible enough, you won't suffer. Or if you if you give to a certain ministry or give a certain amount, then you will avoid struggles. Name it and claim it. Radio, television is filled with those snake oil salesmen. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Jesus, while he does answer a lot of our needs, desires, hopes, dreams, he never promised us that when we became Christians that we would have this magic pill and everything would everything would clear up. He never said that everything would be easy. And I think sometimes we want that. And, and perish the thought that we talk about the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. He talked about the cost of being his disciple often. And people walked away. People left him. People turned around and didn't, couldn't follow him anymore. I think sometimes I wonder if we are doing Jesus and his kingdom a disservice when we try to appeal to the masses too much rather than appealing to God's people first and foremost and calling them to account. I really want to touch on, on the first two verses, and there's, there's some theological struggles in these six verses. I'm not going to touch on any of those theological struggles. You know, that, that one line that says, he who suffers in the flesh has ceased from sin. Well, I have suffered in the flesh, and I still wrestle with, in thought, word, and deed with sin, don't you? So it can't mean that you and I cease from sin when we, when we struggle from the flesh. Obviously, we know Jesus was not, didn't have sin. I'm not going to wrestle with those, but, since there, and I'm reading from the ESV, so it's going to be a tiny bit different. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So Jesus must have had a certain mindset about the suffering he was dealing with. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Our theme over these, is this week six? Next week is week seven. It's going to be at Martinsburg Church, and Pastor John is preaching, right? So I hope you can join us next Wednesday at 7 o'clock at the Martinsburg Church in Bruin. We've been dealing with uh, the theme of life together. What does life as followers of Jesus Christ look like? The world says one thing. And in this case, the world says, me, 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 me. I want this, this. I need this, this, and this. And then I'll be satisfied. Constant struggle, constant running after the next best thing. But in the kingdom, it's different, isn't it? What is our guiding principle? Peter says it's the will of God. It's not the passions of the world. It's the will of God. 
So let me ask you a different, let me ask you a different question other than what are you thirsty for? What are you living for? Are you living for those things that look good to you? Are you living for those things that make you feel good about yourself? Are you living for those things that give you comfort? Or are you living for the will of God and for His kingdom? We may want to say we're living for God, but are we? Think about how it plays out in the specifics of daily life. Eating and drinking. After all, didn't Paul say, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God? Do you think about that when you eat? Or is your first thought maybe filling a void in your own life? (laughs) You were hungry. Well, he texted me at 4 o'clock in the morning. My wife shot out of bed, and she's like, what was that? And my phone's on vibrate. (laughs) My wife is the director of the daycare at Catanning, and she's constantly having her staff call her at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning saying, I'm sick, I can't come in. So she was hoping it wasn't one of those kind of messages. (laughs) I'm glad it wasn't either. I would have come after you. Eating and drinking, though. Is eating and drinking, we need to eat and drink, right? You, you can't go very long without eating and drinking, but, but how do you eat and drink for the glory of God? I, I think we need to wrestle with that sometimes, don't we? And for the good of others. I know that, that in, in, in certain circles, um, you know, and, and we don't have to go here or there, but there are certain of our brothers and sisters in Christ that think drinking is okay, okay? Alcohol in moderation is okay. But what if it's what if what if there's someone there who struggles with it? Is it okay? Are are you drinking it for their benefit or or for their ill? I think we have to think about that when we when we're eating and drinking. Certainly that was an issue back in the first century, wasn't it? There was meat sacrificed to idols, and they had to wrestle with that. They had to prefer their brothers. What about uh, your time? And, and we talk about it as my time, don't we? Or me time. Is it your time? Is any of the time we have our time? Or are we stewards of time? I think we are stewards of time. It's not our time. It's not my time. It's not me time. It's God's time. Do we think about time in relation to what God wants us to accomplish for His kingdom and for His good before we think about using our time for ourselves? What about money? Uh Uh-oh, I mentioned it. (laughs) We don't like to talk about money in church, do we? Nobody likes to talk about money in church. But I, 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 why do we have, why do we give tithes and offerings? Does God need it? No. God doesn't need it, does He? He owns a cattle on a thousand hills and He owns the hills as well. You and I need to give it. It's an act of worship. It, it demonstrates for us what we're holding on to, doesn't it? I, I have to think about that. I hated talking about money when I was a young Christian. I did. But, but it's, is it ours? 
is the job we have because we're so good at certain things, skills, or did God give us that job? In every area of your life, do you do what makes you feel good or do you do what you know God wants you to do? Do you live according to human passions in those areas of your life or do you live according to God's will? From personal experience, those two things are almost always the exact opposite. I can always know that if the world is going a certain direction, the Bible is going to take me in the opposite direction. That, that's almost a principle. That if the world tells me, go over here, God's going to say, go here. Do I listen to that sometimes? <laughs> no, I don't. I go there. But one of the marks of a real Christian is that we aren't living for the desires of the flesh. We're living to do God's will, not what we want to do. When Jesus was with the woman at the well, and the disciples went into town to get some food, and they came back to him, and Jesus wasn't hungry, and they're like, they had food, and they're looking around and going, did someone bring Jesus a lunch? Where did he get this food? He's not hungry. We went and we spent hours getting this food. And what did he say? My food is to do, my food is to do the will of my Father. We've come to a part in the message where I'm supposed to turn the corner. I'm, I, I could take a moment to, to look closer at the Gospel of John where when Jesus said, I thirst, we can, we can see where John indicates that that was to fulfill Scripture. We could look back at the Psalms, Psalm 69, verse 21, where it says, for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Jesus' statement on the cross was prophecy fulfilled. I could tell you that just as God promised a brief release from suffering for Jesus in the form of drink on the cross, so in the same way we can know that God will meet our needs. That's all true, right? This is the part of the sermon where I'm supposed to tell you that your thirst will be quenched as well. And it sounds so trite. We thirst, and sometimes there's no relief for our thirst. Right? Sometimes there's no cure for cancer. Sometimes there's no new job coming. Sometimes the house is foreclosed. Sometimes there's no water to quench thirst. It's like the story of these children that were buried under the rubble in Haiti. I don't know which earthquake it was. Probably in the last, maybe not the most recent one, the one before that. There were three children buried under the rubble of this building for many, many days. And two of them were rescued, but one of them died. And do you remember, and you probably don't, but one of the children was recalling the story to reporters, and she she said her brother would say to her, I, I need water. And he said that on Wednesday. And he said the same thing on Thursday, I need some water. And he said the same thing on Friday, I need some water. They were stuck in this rubble for I don't know how many days, four or five days. He died of dehydration. Sometimes we thirst and nothing comes to meet the need. And and how many of us feel that way? How many of us feel that way about ailing bodies, about aging bodies? How many of us feel that way about a world that seems to be going nuts? We wonder where God is sometimes, don't we? I do. He doesn't promise 
that everything's going to be fixed here. Does he? No. And I think all too often, even we in the church believe that God's going to fix everything here. And then we're just going to live in la-la land. No, that's not the promise of Scripture. The promise of Scripture is a new heaven and a new earth. The old is gone, the new has come. What does that mean, though? This is what I think it means. I think it means that as you look outside, that things are essentially not going to be very different than they are just with the absence of the effects of sin. You and I are going to have relationships. And and we're going to have glorified bodies, by the way. Glorified bodies don't float around in heaven. They're meant for something physical, right? Jesus had a glorified body. Jesus' glorified body ate. Jesus' glorified body drank. Jesus' glorified body teleported. He could move in and out of buildings without coming through the door. Is that what we're going to experience in our new bodies in the new heaven and the new earth? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that it's going to be the image that we have of the new heavens and the earth in Revelation is like the garden on steroids. There's not just one tree of life. There's multiple trees of life. There's not just one river. There's multiple rivers coming from the city of God. And we're going to know each other like we've not known each other this side of heaven, right? I'm not sure how communication is going to be in heaven. Will we have to say anything to each other? Or will we just understand? That's kind of interesting thing to think about, isn't it? But it's all speculation because the Bible's not really clear about it. But the Bible is clear about this. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible is clear about the fact that you will have glorified bodies. And don't get tripped up about, don't get tripped up about how old you might be. That's, there's no time in heaven. There's no time in eternity, right? And so we're going to be eternally present in new bodies, in a new heaven and a new earth. That means this earth, and, and by the way, when Jesus came to this earth, what did he say he was going to do? Seek and save sinners. He didn't say he was coming to seek and save and restore culture. He said, I'm coming to seek and save sinners. Sometimes we thirst and nothing comes to meet the need. What is there to say to the young sisters of the world? The young sisters buried in the rubble of sin, perhaps. The young sisters buried in the rubble of running after these temporal desires, these temporal needs. What is to be said for even Christians who run after those temporal things? Church people have countless phrases to call upon in these situations. Phrases we use so often, they sometimes become meaningless. How could they possibly help? Try telling someone gospel cliches to to these two young ladies who lost their brother. In the face of such horror, I'm supposed to point to a man suffering in the cross. Do you realize how foolish that is? That's what the Bible says. A man dying on the cross is foolishness to the world. That, That a man of flesh would die on a cross and save sinners is foolishness. I thirst, you thirst. And gospel cliches sometimes don't fix the issues and the problems that we deal with, right? What does? 
What does? What does fix the issues and the problems? Not that they all go away, and don't get me wrong. Not that they all go away. What does? Easter Sunday. He lives. Do you realize that if we didn't have Easter Sunday, His death on the cross is meaningless? Do you realize that if we didn't have Easter Sunday, the pain and the struggle He went through getting to that cross was in vain? If if the resurrection wasn't real, John and I are just windbags on Sunday morning filling the room with hot air. And that's what the Apostle Paul said. Our preaching is in vain if Jesus didn't die. And that's not cliche. But is that enough? I just want you to think about that. Is that enough? Absolutely it's enough. Absolutely it's enough. Let me say it again. If this good news, the gospel, that Jesus lived doesn't seem like enough, perhaps perhaps it's because we don't realize what we need. We don't need the temporal, ultimately, do we? We need the eternal. That's what we need. And if unless we understand the cross, unless we understand the resurrection, we will never get to the eternal. We will continue to wrestle and play around in our little mud puddles like C.S. Lewis said. When God has a holiday at the sea by us in eternity with Him. The woman at the well. I love that story because it's really my story. And I have a feeling if you think about it, it might be your story too. Here's a woman who was who was searching for love in all the wrong places. She was married four times and she was living with a guy who wasn't her husband. What was she looking for? She was looking for a sense of of value. She was looking for a sense of worth, wasn't she? She was looking for someone to actually notice her, recognize her. And what did Jesus do? He saw her. He saw her heart. He saw what she needed. And of course, there's that there's that play on words. Jesus said, if you had asked me, I would give you living water. And she goes, wait, you don't have anything to even draw water. She's thinking physical, right? Jesus is not think, not talking physical to her. He's saying, you drink from that water, you're going to thirst tomorrow. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, you drink from me. And you'll never thirst again. You'll find satisfaction like you've never found satisfaction in that water. See, we live in the midst of whatever suffering we are currently in, and we can't see what we really really need, do we? We're all looking for temporal fixes. We focus all our attention on alleviating the suffering right now. We want an end to that suffering. That man thirsting on the cross would come to an end of his suffering. He would die. And when he died, he paid for the sin which has brought so much suffering into the world and into our lives. But an end to suffering is not enough. Even if the pain is numbed, the wound remains, right? How how many people have you counseled who deal with the wounds of the past? Even as Christians, they wrestle with the wounds of the past. What we need is healing. Eternal healing. And that is the promise we see in Christ's resurrection. Jesus lives, and because He lives, we too shall live. With His resurrection, Jesus brings more than an end to our suffering. He brings us the promise of a day where all will be put right. 
We can fix our eyes on this. I think that's what Peter was referring to in verse 1 when he said, have arm yourselves with this same mind. And think about Jesus' suffering. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. What was joyful about that? It certainly wasn't that experience, was it? It was the joy of one being reunited with His Father. It's a humbling thing. And you might not consider yourself a humble being as a human being, but that's what Scripture says. He humbled Himself by becoming like us. I often feel pride, prideful and arrogant, don't you? I pride myself on being human. <laughs> yes, that's true as well, isn't it? But but Jesus considers our state humbling. And He even further humbled Himself by dying on a cross. Right? We need to fix our eyes on that. That needs to be our attitude too. That this world is fading away. And what are we living for? Who are we living for? All will be made whole. All the things that hurt us make us and make us something less than God created us to be will be no more. And that's been God's great quest from the beginning of time. To restore all things. To renew all things. There's a, in the Passion of the Christ, one of my favorite scenes is Jesus walking up the Villa Dolorosa carrying the cross. And Mary is on an opposite street running and she sees him through these little valleys underneath houses. And then he passed, not valleys, uh, tunnels. And then he passes the tunnel and she runs to the next tunnel and she sees him. Well, in one of those tunnels, he falls and drops the cross. And she runs through that tunnel and she starts to pick him up. And and he actually brushes her aside in, in Mel Gibson's movie and says, don't, don't stop me from doing this. I'm about to make all things new. Going to the cross and rising from the dead was the, was the beginning of making all things new. And we see things, as Paul says, in a mere darkly, in a mere dimly, but one of these days we're going to see completely. That's the mindset we need to have when we are tempted to try to fix our circumstances and situations in, with worldly ways other than God's ways. There will come a time when death will be swallowed up and God Himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. End of suffering indeed. This is our goal. This is what we truly need. That's what we truly need. Not just for the pain to end, but to be healed, to be made whole. And this is the hope which keeps us going in the midst of suffering, isn't it? Hope does not disappoint. Why does hope not disappoint? Because it builds the character of Christ in us. And Christ will never disappoint. This is the certainty which arms us, according to what Peter says. It arms us. It fits us to battle these Temptations that we deal with. Must we wait with parched throats for this final day? Will our suffering never be alleviated now? By no means. God gives us daily glimpses. Daily sips. He gives us 
weekly gatherings of God's people to celebrate and fellowship. Those are sips of that, that song that we sang. That's, those are sips of holy water, aren't they? Those remind us that this world is passing away. Those remind us that we are just rehearsing for eternity. When we, when we take the Lord's Supper, those are a, it's, a, it's a memorial reminding us of how we get to heaven, but also pushing us on, urging us on to remember that Jesus isn't, isn't going to partake of that feast until we meet Him in heaven at the wedding feast of the Lamb. These are these sips that we need over and over and over again as we wait for Him. When's He coming? I don't know. I don't know when He's coming. Do you know when He's coming? Right. There, there's people that spend a lot of time crunching the numbers. There are people that think they can crunch all the numbers and find out when Jesus is coming back. There have been groups of people that have done that for centuries. In fact, I think, when was it? 2018, Jesus was supposed to come back? According to some of the number crunching? Y2K was another one of those. Jesus may be coming back. Y2K. I think the only thing that we know is that He's coming back. And that while we wait, we've got work to do. Don't we? Go and make disciples. Go and teach. Go and baptize. Go and make disciples. We've got people to bring with us. Are you, how are you doing on that? Are you bringing people with you? I want to bring as many people as I can bring with me. As many, as, as much opportunity as I can. You know, the two Haitian girls may have lost their brother, but they were both rescued. In fact, that is one of the reasons why we're here as a church. We are the body of Christ in this hurting and suffering world to, to point to rescue. I, 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 don't, I don't have the capacity to rescue anybody, but the gospel that we have, the good news we have, the message that we have can rescue sinners. And that's what we're called to go and share. We need to go rescue people. Not because we're so good looking, we're tall, we're smart, we're wealthy. It's because we've got a message that saves. It's the only message that saves. We are the ones who will help wipe away tears for others as we wait for the day when sorrow will end. We bring bring sips of water as we wait for the day when that drought will end. As we wait for the day the day when this source of living water will return and we will thirst no more. So I'm going to ask you that question again. What are you living for? Are you living for the, the temporary pleasures of the day? Are, 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 do we run the risk of being like the rest of the world that just lives for today to eat, drink, and be merry? For tomorrow we die? Or do we live for a kingdom that will never end? and that we'll be in for eternity. That, that's the mindset we need to have. I, our, our lead pastor preached a sermon last week about when we lose a sense of transcendence, that's when we lose this perspective on eternity, that's when we really struggle in this world. When we forget that there is more to come. So what are you living for? Let me pray. Are you guys going to sing another song before we go? Let me pray for us tonight. Father God, thank You that Your Son was willing to come into this world and to take our place as our substitute, our perfect substitute. 
And it's because of His death and His resurrection. It's because of this time of preparation that we're building towards those days, Holy Week, in which a whole lot happened in the life of our Savior. Father, I pray that You would help us to remember that the message of that Gospel is the only message that saves. I pray that You would do a work in our heart first, that we would not be running to the left or to the right, that we would not be seeking temporal fixes from the things of this world. But we will fix our eyes on Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith. We ask this in Christ's name and all God's people said.